going to begin this morning with a Bible quiz. That's right, a little pop quiz. Going to test your Bible knowledge. I'm going to give you an Old Testament character quiz. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to name some of the characters, some of the people that are talked about in the Old Testament. And if you know that person, when you hear their name, if you know who they are, maybe a little bit about them, raise your hand. So you got it? Simple, easy. Let's start with a really easy one. Moses. How many of you know Moses? Yeah, that, that's almost everybody. You know, let my people go, Ten Commandments. I mean, the guy's got his own Disney movie, right? That was too easy. Let's try a little tougher one. David. Anybody know David? Yeah. King Shepherd Boy kills a giant with a slingshot, becomes a king, writes some cool worship songs. Pretty easy. Let's get a little tougher. Elijah. How many of you know Elijah? Yeah. About a third of us. All right. Here's a tougher one. Amos. How many of you know all about, yeah, like one or two Bible nerds in here, but for the vast majority of us, Amos is a stranger. Even those of us who have been in the church for a a long time, we kind of think we should know the name, but we know very little about him, and yet he is one of the key players in the Old Testament story. In fact, this dude's got his own book in the Old Testament. So here's some good news for you. You're about, over the next six weeks, to learn probably more than you ever thought you would know about this guy named Amos. Because we are kicking off this summer book series. Those of you that are regulars here know that almost every summer we teach through, cover to cover, one of the books of the Bible. We call it our summer book series. And this year, We have chosen the book of Amos. Now, I know you're wondering why, Philip. Out of all the great books of the Bible, why would you choose this obscure book in the Old Testament? A couple of reasons for that. One is for your benefit. Because if you get to heaven and you run into Amos and he asks you, Hey, did you read my book? You won't have to deal with that awkward moment, right? No, just teasing. Listen. Two reasons primarily. One, the book of Amos, as you're going to see, is incredibly relevant to our lives and primarily our culture and our world today. Many of the things in Amos' day that were happening within the family of God and that were happening in the culture around them are almost identical to stuff we see on the news every day. And then the second reason we chose Amos is because it is a great follow-up to where we've been as a church the last six months. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, for the last six months, we as a church have been focusing on spiritual growth. We started in January with the foundation series and study. You remember, we talked about the importance of digging down to the foundation, building our lives on the rock, on Jesus, how important that was. And then here more recently, we've been talking about chapter 2, the importance of taking a next step in your spiritual growth. It's an ongoing process. We always have a next step. And the reason the book of Amos is a great follow-up to the spiritual growth emphasis Because this book is all about putting that spiritual growth to work. Putting that growth, that spiritual maturity, into practice in the lives of people around us, especially the vulnerable and the marginalized in our 
world. In fact, the theme of the whole book of Amos can be summed up in this one sentence at the top of your outline, and it's this. Our spiritual walk affects our pursuit of righteous justice. Let me say that again. Our spiritual walk affects our pursuit of righteous justice. In other words, what we say we believe about God has to show up in the way we treat people, especially the vulnerable and the marginalized. That's why I think James in the New Testament, I think he had either just finished reading Amos or he was at least thinking about Amos when he wrote these words in James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's the book of Amos in a nutshell, that because God is a God of justice, we as his people should care about justice for the others around us. And if we don't, as you'll see in the book of Amos, the consequences are not good. And so what I want to do this morning, kind of introduce you to this guy called Amos, and then look at some lessons, some practical life lessons from Amos that we can apply to our lives today. Does that make sense? You see where I'm going? All right, good. So who is Amos? Amos is an Old Testament prophet who baked incredibly good cookies. No, that's a different, famous Amos. I don't think that's the same Amos. He was a prophet of God. And when I say a prophet of God, here's what I mean. That before Jesus was born, before the Bible was even written down, God spoke to and guided his people through the words of prophets. The, the same Holy Spirit that fills all of us today as Christians living on this side of the resurrection that same Holy Spirit, God would pour into individual men who would then deliver God's message. A prophet is nothing more than a man of God who delivers the message of God for the people of God. And prophets typically delivered God's message in one of three ways. Sometimes it would be just a direct message. They would just say word for word what God had told them to say to the people. In fact, when prophets are prophesying through direct message, they almost always start out that message with, this is what the Lord says, or this is what God has said to me, or thus saith the Lord. And in fact, in the first two chapters of the book of Amos, you'll notice both of those start off with a, this is the word of the Lord that came to me. And then he speaks directly to the nation surrounding Israel, and then he speaks directly and pretty harshly to the nation of Israel. A second way that God would speak to his people through prophets is through visions. These images, these dreams, these sort of metaphorical pictures that would describe what is either going to happen in the future or what is currently happening. 
And you'll find Amos speaking God's word through vision in chapter 7 and 8. You'll see that over the next several weeks. And then the third way that God guided and spoke to his people through prophets was in an advisory role for the political and military leaders of the nation. You look throughout the history of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, that God always raised up a prophet along with a king or a general, and then God would speak to and God tell those political leaders what to do and what not to do. And any time the king or the general would listen to the prophet, things would go well. When those two people worked well together, Life was good, but when the king ignored what God was saying to them through the prophets, then things fell apart quickly. And unfortunately, the king that Amos was prophesying to, a guy by the name of Jeroboam, in fact, he's Jeroboam II, right? Imagine two people being married, being named Jeroboam. It's kind of weird. But Jeroboam had no intention of listening to Amos. He ignored him completely. Now, here's, I don't want to bore you with dry history, but you got to understand the context to understand what Amos is all about. And that is, during the time of Amos, the the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel that came out of Egypt when Moses led them, went into the promised land, formed a nation, fought a lot of battles, and then finally David unites all of the tribes together, and they have a lot of prosperity, and then David's son Solomon takes over as king, and things are even better. But after David and Solomon, things start to go downhill. And this one nation of 12 tribes begins to argue over, of all things, taxes. Right? Imagine a country fighting over taxes. Now, unheard of, right? But anyway, two of the tribes break off from the other ten in the south, and they form their own kingdom called Judah, and their capital is Jerusalem. The remaining other ten tribes in the north, they form their own kingdom, and their capital is in Samaria. So you've got one former one nation, now a divided nation. They are in the midst of a civil war. There is a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And it is into that world that Amos speaks to Jeroboam, who is king of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. And let me tell you, when Jeroboam was king, things were good. The economy was humming. 401Ks were going through the roof. The housing market was hot. Market was good. Everything was good. The problem was that all of that prosperity was being built on the backs of the poor. That prosperity was the result of taking advantage of the poor. They were human trafficking things going on. There was slavery. There was an ever-widening gap between the haves and the have-nots. Does that seem familiar? You've seen that on the news recently. And that's what Amos is talking to. And that's why Jeroboam doesn't want to hear what he has to say, right? No leader wants to be told that, yeah, it's good now, but it's done the wrong way and it's going to fall apart. And that's the life and times and world of Amos. That's what's going on in his book. Now, what I want to do is unpack his life just a little bit and I want to give us two practical lessons from Amos' life. You ready? Number one, here's the first lesson you can take away from Amos. is That is that God uses unlikely people. God uses unlikely people. 
The most fascinating thing about Amos is how unprofit-like he is. I mean, Amos is the last guy you would pick to be speaking for God. In fact, look at what he says about himself, Amos chapter 7. He said, I'm not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. I am just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go. See, in the nation of Israel, the tribe that you were born into and the family that you were born into had a huge impact on your standing and on your profession. If you were born into the tribe of Levi, if you were a Levite, you're going to be a priest. That's what Levites did. They were the priestly tribe. Now, a prophet could come from any of the 12 tribes, but most prophets were the son of prophets. They came from a long line, a family line of prophets, and those that didn't were at least trained by another prophet. That's what Elijah did for Elisha. He trained him up. Well, look, Amos had none of that going for him. Amos was like, I'm just a sheep herding fig picker. You know, I'm just a regular guy with a regular job and a regular life. And yet God told me to go. Two phrases I want you to circle in that passage. Circle the phrase, I'm just a shepherd. And circle the phrase, but the Lord called me. So you're sitting here this morning and maybe you're thinking, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a retired person. I'm just an accountant. I'm just an office worker. I'm just a student. I'm just a, just a, just a. If you are a follower of Christ, you are not just to anything. You have been called by God and sent to engage in the injustices that occur all around us. Interesting, Amos' name is perfect for his job. He didn't have the right bloodline and he didn't have the right schooling. But do you know what his name means? The name Amos means burden or burden barrier. See, he didn't have all the right credentials, but our man Amos, he had the right heart. He had a burden for the wrongs and the brokenness and the injustices that he saw all around him. So let me ask you, do you? Do you have a burden for the injustices you see? I'm not talking about the injustices done to you. We all have a burden to the injustices that are done to us. I'm talking about the injustices that are done to others. Maybe that burden is God calling you to go and make a difference. See, we look at these problems and go, the government ought to do something. The church ought to start a ministry and do something. Maybe that burden is saying, you are the church. You do something. A couple of months ago, I was invited to play in a, a charity golf tournament for our local Wounded Warriors organization. And it was, it was a huge tournament. And before the tournament started, they, they shared with us some of the things, amazing work that this organization had been doing. Scholarships for veterans to go back to school, uh, special medical treatment, housing stuff. It was amazing. I was just like, wow, these people are doing amazing things. And then, you know what really blew me away? Is when they told us that this organization was not part of the government, not part of the VA. 
It was not part of some big national organization somewhere. This organization was a handful of regular people in our community who looked around and saw our veterans not having what they needed, and they didn't say the VA or they didn't say Washington. They said, let's do something. Regular people, shepherders, fig pickers, regular people who just said, God has called me to do something about it. God uses unlikely people. You know why? Because God gets the glory. Right? Nobody's looking at Amos and going, wow, that Amos is knocking it out of the park. He's amazing. No people thought only God could work through a fig picking sheep herder like that. God gets the glory. Great example of this in the New Testament. The church in the city of Corinth this church, now it had problems like every church, like our church, but they were doing some amazing stuff. This church in Corinth was transforming their city. And look at what Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God uses unlikely people to do amazing things. And when he does, he gets all the credit. God not only uses unlikely people, but the second lesson we learn from Amos is that God sends us to unexpected places. God sends us to unexpected places. See, not only is Amos the last guy you'd pick, to speak for God, but he gets sent to the last place you'd ever expect him to be effective as a prophet. Look at Amos 1.1. Amos says, this message given to Amos, given to me, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. Two things I want you to understand about where Amos is from and where he gets sent. First of all, Amos is from Judah. Remember, that's in the south, the two tribes. He gets sent to King Jeroboam, who is in the north, the other ten tribes. In other words, he sends him behind enemy lines. He sends him across the border to speak to people that his country is at war with. And not only is he going behind enemy lines, but he comes from the village of Tekoa. It's bad enough to be from the south, but to come from Tekoa was really, really bad. Tekoa was one of the smallest villages near Bethlehem, but even smaller than old little town of Bethlehem. And unlike Bethlehem, it's not even on the main caravan route. So this was a cut-off, isolated, little backwater village that Amos comes from. And guess where he gets sent? To the most urban, most cosmopolitan, most educated, biggest city in that region. A place called Bethel. That would be like pulling somebody out of the backwoods of West Virginia and planting them on the east side, Upper East Side of Manhattan and say, have at it. That's how out of culture he was. Why? Why would God? That don't make sense to me. I've been thinking about that all week. There, there were prophets in the north. Why choose this redneck 
fig picker from the hills of Tekoa to go speak to this urban educated audience. I, I don't know for sure. Maybe one of the reasons God picked and sent him there is because it certainly would have created an overwhelming sense of dependence on God by Amos, right? I mean, he's out of his you know, comfort zone. He would have probably spent a lot of time praying before speaking God's word in this different culture. But maybe, maybe God chose Amos just for the shock value of it, right? You know, it's one thing for a smooth-talking urban prophet to speak to a bunch of smooth-living urbanites, but you bring in this country boy and put him on the streets of Bethel, he's going to get some attention. He sticks out like a sore thumb. In fact, if you read, and hopefully you will, you'll see that Amos almost immediately gets the ear of the king and the people. You know, maybe the fact that Amos is the one that delivers it was God's way of making sure that everybody heard it. Now, they didn't follow it, but at least they couldn't say they hadn't heard from God. Another example of this, of God sending us to unexpected places to reach out to unexpected people is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, right? If you know anything about Paul, you know Paul is a Jew's Jew. He is a diehard, raised in the Jewish faith. In fact, today, he would be referred to as a Jewish nationalist, a Jewish extremist. He was all about pure blood, my culture, my way. And then on the Damascus Road, not only does Jesus change his heart towards Christians, but guess where God sends Paul to preach the gospel? I can tell you, it ain't to other Jews. Look at what the Bible says, Galatians 1. Paul says, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the who? Right. These are, these are, the, these are the heathens. Paul is pure blood. He follows the law. The last person you'd expect to be reaching out to Gentiles would be Paul. And yet because it's Paul, the impact is huge. You see that even in our culture, right? When a member of the law enforcement community stands up for and defends a member of the Black Lives Matters community, that has impact. Or when a member of the Black Lives Matters community stands up in defense of a member of the law enforcement community, it ripples, it, it echoes, it gets noticed. When a conservative Christian dad goes and stands on the street during a gay pride parade with a t-shirt that says, Free Dad hugs and offers a father's hug to young men, many of whom have been completely rejected by their own fathers. That's what happens when we reach out in unexpected places to unexpected people who are different from us. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, some of you were a part of this, 
We worship together with our brothers and sisters at Mount Anabaptist Church down the street at a time when racial tension in our country and our community was at a all-time high. And we said, we vote for different people. Our skin's different. We look different. We think different. We act different. But we love Jesus. And we're coming together and saying, thank you, Jesus. That makes an impact because it reflects the heart of God's justice and by the way we're doing it again this fall this time not just with Mount Anna but we are gathering with dozens of churches all over our community for a special night for Jesus it's going to be on Wednesday uh, September 11th you'll be able to remember that day you know many of you know that there's a group of pastors that gather here every other Thursday to pray for and encourage one another. Well, that group of pastors has said, let's bring our churches together and just say, thank you, Jesus. That is a reflection of the heart of God. That's what God's justice looks like. That's how you know when God's in it, because we can't do it on our own. Make no mistake about it, church. God's all about social justice. His social justice. See, unfortunately, that phrase, social justice, has been so politically charged and it's been hijacked for people to try to get their own way. That's why I know when you hear that phrase, social justice or social justice warrior, those of you on the right politically, in your mind, you think about a bunch of millennials protesting in the street trying to vote in socialism and just not pay their student loans off, right? That's what you think when you hear social justice. And those of you on the left, when you think social justice, you think making everything fair for everybody well let me tell you something about God's justice is different because God's justice is not about fairness justice and fairness are not the same now stick with me fairness is not a biblical concept this is going to shock some of you God is not fair Thank God he's not fair. Because if God were fair, we would all get what we deserve. And what we all deserve is eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Thank God he's not fair. But God is just. And justice is treating people right regardless of their circumstances. Righteous justice is seeing the image of God in every human being and treating them with dignity because of that. That's the justice that this book is about. And that is the justice that we as Jesus followers should be all about. And listen, I believe with all my heart, I truly do, that if we as a church... And as we individually begin to live that out, that this vision that Amos gives in Amos 5.24 can be a reality for hurting, broken, marginalized, vulnerable people in our community. Amos says, but let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. I know That's what I want to see in my life and in my church and in my community. 
And that's what I want you to see in your life, your church, and in your community. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this hard but clear truth from this obscure book. It is a reminder to me, Lord, that every word written in your word matters. And it speaks truth to us. So God, as we begin this journey in pursuit of righteousness, I pray truly that you would move among your people. That you would tear down walls that politics has built. That you will tear down walls that prejudice and pride and self-desire have built. And that we could begin to see justice rolling like a river. And washing clean our community, our nation, and our world. And so Jesus, as we begin this journey... I simply pray that you would have your way with your people who are called by your name. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen.